my own approach to leadership is to be as balanced as I can be, uh, as empathetic as I can be, uh, and that's sort of very important to me. Welcome back to the Build Podcast. I'm Blake Bartlett, a partner at OpenView. The world of SaaS is always evolving, and we're here to help you adapt, compete, and win with your startup. The Build Podcast brings you stories and insights from my conversations with the most successful people in SaaS. In today's episode, I chat with Prashant Chandrasekhar, CEO of Stack Overflow. We all know and love Stack Overflow, and that's especially true if you're a developer. But today, Prashant and I are talking about leadership, specifically what Prashant calls leading in a non-extreme way. Leaders often have strong opinions, but when those come with an iron fist and a closed mind, it leads to more problems than solutions. Prashant walks us through how to communicate and lead in an open, non-dual manner that creates what others have termed a marketplace of ideas, where the best approach wins no matter where it came from. All that and more on this episode of Build. So let's dive in with Prashant Chandrasekhar. Well, Prashant, thank you so much for joining us here on the Build Podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Blake. A big fan of what you do with the product-led growth movement. And it's a pleasure to, to meet you and talk to you today. So we're talking today about your approach to leadership, a little bit of your leadership philosophy, and maybe setting that up. Let's take a step back. And this is not going to be a surprise to anybody, but I think if we all look around in the world today, there is no shortage of strong opinions and hardline perspectives. So how do you process this dynamic as a leader? Especially now in the world, you know, there's some very sort of very polarizing views and certainly in many ways sort of extreme views on what's the right thing, what's the wrong thing. And I certainly believe it's ironic coming from somebody who leads Stack Overflow, the world's largest uh, community and platform for technologists where, you know, we're all about right and wrong answers because it's very objective questions, right? Like, how do you do this on, you know, Amazon Web Services or whatnot? And those questions absolutely have a very objective right or wrong answer. But with most things in leadership, at least based on my own perspective and my own experience, I find that it's extremely, I think it would be short-sighted for us not to actually take a more empathetic view that, you know, there's actually, there are likely multiple answers to a particular problem, or there may be a right answer for a particular set of circumstances and sort of context and sort of situations that are in place. But it's, it's hard and it's somewhat sort of disheartening to see sometimes when people take very extreme views on whatever topic. I think being balanced, taking sort of a non-dualistic approach, because the answer is always, it's sort of, it's highly relevant in the context of the situation. So my own approach to leadership is to be as balanced as I can be, as empathetic as I can be. And that's sort of very important to me, you know, uh, as, as somebody said, that's just been my style, you know, as I've sort of grown up and it's the things that I've been exposed to. So, so that's the philosophy. So what do you mean exactly by non-dualistic? If you actually think about any particular situation, especially like leadership situations, it could be, you know, how do you deal with a particular issue at work? And, you know, the question becomes, you can take a position A or you can take a position B. It's like a, you know, like a, almost like in business school, what they teach you. Okay, why do you take a position? What is your reasoning behind it? And invariably, there's always a good reason to pick A or B, meaning that there's good reasons to pick A and there are good reasons to pick B, right? And it just depends on, people's perspective, people's backgrounds, 
the context of the situation. And oftentimes, and most of the time, in my opinion, there isn't actually a right or wrong answer. It's just that it's sort of, you have to pick one way only because you chose, you're sort of forced to pick one. But I think approaching it in a way that is non sort of plus or minus or in the context of stack overflow, upvote or downvote, in that context, I think is important because one, you're going to get a lot more people together. You're going to allow people to sort of share their perspective. You're going to be able to listen to people's point of view. And then, you know, you're going to be also be able to explain and understand the decisions that you're making fully because you're fully sort of, you know, informed about the various aspects and you have to take, you know, sort of a balanced view of the story. And it may be there's a, there's, that could come in a few forms. It could come in the form of uh, what's appropriate now and what's appropriate in the medium term and what's appropriate in the long term. So you might think of it as like, okay, this is appropriate today and we're going to choose this path, but that's not necessarily what's going to happen in the medium term or long term, right? But providing a sort of a path and that ultimately balances, you know, the best of everybody's perspective so that you're actually getting to sort of a great optimally sort of enhanced answer is sort of what I mean by non-dualistic behavior. Because, you know, and we can talk about a few examples, right? So even in your space or our space around things like product-led, many companies, you know, might just like blindly choose one way or the other. They might choose, you know, I'm a sales-led company or I'm a product-led company. And the answer could be that maybe at this point in time in the company's evolution, it may be appropriate to be product-led or could be sales-led. Things there are oftentimes companies switch between being product-led to sales-led or vice versa. You know, that Stack Overflow story, ironically, even though we created a community, which is a completely different topic of how that's, uh, you know, a different order. You know, we started out as a sales-led company when we started selling in the enterprise. And now we're on our product-led journey, right? Which is why I sort of brought me to you and, you know, all the great work that you do. So the point is that being super dogmatic and super opinionated about one point of view and one direction, in my opinion, is especially in the world that's moving so rapidly and there's so much dynamism and so on. I think it's short-sighted for leaders to take that approach. I think you have to be sort of open-minded and balanced and flexible based on you know where you are. I would also say one other point in that, you know, sometimes people just sort of go into situations, and this again is, is a leadership lesson, is that just taking a playbook and just sort of using it in any context. Like, so somebody did XYZ thing in a different company or approached this playbook to get to 100 million of revenue or whatever it may be. And just taking that blindly and adopting that in the context of your company, like, is, I think, a massive mistake because every company is different. The people are different. The stakeholders are different. In our case, we have an additional stakeholder with the community. Putting labels, I think, you know, to those sort of elements, I think, is also a mistake. So I think playbooks are good and frameworks are good to give you a good education to be able to say, here are sort of the tools of the trade that you can leverage as appropriate. But blindly following a playbook and really not thinking for yourself with all the conditions around you, I think is also, you know, it's critical. It is a mistake to do it that way, right? So I think especially as leaders, anybody that, you know, is driving the forward direction of an organization or a cause or a community or a company, super important that they just don't sort of rinse and repeat what somebody else has done. You just have to think for yourself. So how does this relate to the very popular statement, which I, I love, but the statement of strong opinions loosely held, mm. do you still end up having a strong perspective or a strong opinion or perhaps a strong hypothesis going into a situation, but you're trying to maintain an open mind to sort of see how can my perspective be enhanced? Or are we really talking here like try not to have a hard and strong perspective, go in open-minded and then formulate after the fact? How, how do you think about that dynamic? 
You know, I love that statement, right? And that phrase, and we use it often at Stack Overflow with, you know, my leaders and myself, and we talk about, you know, absolutely the goal is to have, you know, opinions that are loosely held, right? Like you have to have a point of view because as leaders, you're being paid and you're, you know, you're being sort of like, you know, tasked with making decisions all day long. So I think you have to have an opinion and a point of view coming into a situation after you've sort of assessed, you know, all the factors that are relevant from your lens, Right. But the interesting thing is that the reason why you have to be sort of they have to be loosely held is because like you know, you've you got one lens. You might have a let's say it's a go to market lens or a product lens or an operational lens. And each of those lenses are great because like, you have a lot of deep context and you're you know, you're in that role because you obviously have a lot of, you know, pattern recognition and so on. And then it's like, how does that marry up with the other perspectives in the room? So that's why you have to be loosely held because the, the opinions need to be loosely held because at some point, you're going to have to be able to collectively decide what's appropriate for the company based on, again, the circumstance and the situation and so on, right? So inevitably, somebody's opinion is going to be able to move forward and somebody else's is not, right? So as a result of that, and if, if you're not going to be flexible in that scenario, you know, you're going to, it, it's not going to be a productive conversation. So I'm a big believer that come in with an opinion, absolutely expected as leaders, Let's come up with the, you know, the appropriate answer based on, you know, all the sort of the various perspectives. And then everybody has to sort of commit. It doesn't matter if you sort of disagreed in the moment, but, you know, you have to disagree and commit and kind of move forward as one team. And that's where it leads to sort of this other concept called first team first, which is something that I also sort of really sort of, you know, talk about with my own team and like, how does the team always operate with the first team first mentality? So that's the other aspect. It comes back to this notion of empathy, right? It's like, are you able to really sort of, see the world from somebody else's lens. And it's, it's easy to say, very difficult to do, actually, right? By the way, productive conflict is a very good thing. You know, the, the notion of uh, Pat Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team, he would say that that is an important element of, you know, great team building and, and so on. So it's not to say that everybody should agree with on everything. Actually, in fact, the opposite, like the people should sort of debate things and so on, but do it with sort of with again, that first team, first mentality that when you walk out of the room, it's going to be all, you know, you're going to be uh, committing to whatever you decide. So let's bring this down into some specific examples. Mm -hmm. And so you alluded to this earlier, talking about maybe some best practices or common sense or commonly accepted sort of ideas that you've thought about differently. So the idea of sales led, product led was one. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some of these examples? Yeah, sure. I mean, let, let me look at Stack Overflow in itself, right? So I think when you think about Stack and most companies start and obsess about building a great product. And then those, that product, obviously there's a lot of obsession with the customer, what the customer wants and creating a, you know, creating product market fit and and so on and growing from there. And that sort of generates a great sort of brand name for that company as a result of having product and almost like, you know, the vast majority of companies sort of operate this way. That second pillar of the brand, then potentially you might then go and create a community around it. You know, and that's the third pillar. So product, brand, and then community is probably perhaps the three sort of pillars or sort of the pit stops that companies sort of, you know, uh, sort of move towards or move in the direction of rather. For Stack, we did it completely the opposite. You know, we created a community first, right? And we, again, for those of uh, your listeners that are not aware of Stack Overflow, we're the world's largest software developer network uh, and community and platform. We serve close to 100 million monthly visitors we have close to 50 million questions and answers on every possible technology topic on our website. And we have a SaaS business that's a private version of that public platform for companies to use. But we started with that community that grew to 100 million. 
And then along the way, we obviously established a massive brand because every every developer and every technologist now knows Stack Overflow because they use it every day because they're getting unstuck by going to our website to find an answer to an issue that they're facing on whatever technology platform or programming language. And we create a great brand after the community. And then third, we are now on our product-led journey where we are really creating these SaaS products, specifically, again, our private Stack Overflow for Teams product that is third in line. You know, and only now are we going through that process. We're still a hyper growth company. We're very much a SaaS company where, you know, we're growing extremely fast. We're, you know, growing our team by 30, 30, 40% till the next year. So all the many characteristics that you see in a traditional product company, product led company, like, you know, we, we have that today. I guess my point is that the order of going community brand and product, exactly the opposite of most companies going product brand community is another example of just being very sort of flexible and open and not sort of just following something blindly. It sort of depends on, again, the circumstance. Why are you here? What problems are you trying to solve? And what is this sort of the context in which you're solving them? So it's it's letting yourself do away with the myth that there is a right way to do things. And instead, understand that there are many ways to do things. What is the right way or what is the optimal way for us to do it in our context, in our industry, with everything that we know about what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, exactly right. And you know, I'll give you one more example, right, Blake, on this, which is because of that, the fact that we had 100 million monthly visitors, when we went on our product-led journey after we created a community and brand, most companies, the most traditional ways, and I've been in companies where we've done this, where we start with the SMB, then you move to the mid-market, and then you go to the enterprise. So it's literally, it's a very tried and true way of saying, oh, we're moving into the enterprise. My goodness, right? It's like this kind of this, this curve. We literally did the opposite at Stack. So when we launched our SaaS business in 2017, Stack Overflow for Teams, we started in the enterprise because we already had a community that was and a platform that was operating at the scale of 100 million monthly visitors. So why not? And that the problem that we're, we are solving there is for largest companies that want to sort of collaborate and knock down silos and really have asynchronous collaboration and share their knowledge across the organizations. And so it was appropriate for us to launch in the enterprise first. And then only now, ironically, are we launching mid-market and then down to SMB and now even freemium, which is again what you know brought me to you at OpenView, is that you know we are now we just launched freemium for our Stack Overflow for Teams product, you know, just three four months ago, uh, which is you know approximately three and a half years after we started our SaaS business. You know, I would say most SaaS companies start with a freemium offer, right? Like in the first year of their operation. So that's another example of us doing it literally the opposite. Now, again, everything comes with positives and negatives. I'm not saying this is not, you know, it doesn't come with sort of other issues. But the point is that it has to be very specific to your circumstance and, and your your company. Well, I like this. And I think that it will probably give people license and freedom to experiment a little bit more and question assumptions, because I think your example shows that you didn't do it just slightly differently. You did it the exact inverse, the exact yeah. opposite, and not just on one topic, but on multiple topics. You flipped it on its head in basically every possible way. And Indeed. But you've been massively successful and it clearly has worked. And so again, I do think that this can be really encouraging to folks to question those assumptions and embrace a different way of doing it. Agreed. hundred percent. Yeah, there is, you know, we are, we're definitely on our own journey and, you know, again, everything comes with positives and negatives and we have to deal with different kinds of problems as a result of the journeys that the journey we've taken. 
But either way, we're all in the problem-solving business. What are your strengths? What do you have going for you? And operating from that vantage point. Because, you know, I don't think enough people think about how do you really sort of double down on what you're really good at and then, you know, kind of use that as momentum. And that goes for companies, that goes for, you know, individuals personally. I think people spend way too much time focused on sort of the negatives and the, uh, you know, things that are sort of uh, broken or, uh, or even the areas that they don't, they're not sort of believers in, but they're just going through the motions of going, going and doing those things. So you mentioned the pros and cons of taking different approaches. And so let's talk about some of the downsides mm. or some of the risks that folks need to be mindful of mm. if they are sort of embracing this more non-dualistic way of, of leading and of, and of operating. So, you know, one that I could anticipate is that this could lead to basically a consensus seeking exercise. And as everybody points to with consensus, it usually isn't the best answer. It's usually mm -hmm. the lowest common denominator. And mm -hmm. so how do you think about that risk and mitigating that risk with this sort of approach? So I think my, I'm a big believer that especially if you want to win and differentiate and differentiation, competitive differentiation is the way that you win as a company. You have to be different in some fashion, right? And so by not following the herd, which is ultimately taking a view that may be counterintuitive or different, and yes, you potentially by sort of considering multiple points of view and not taking you know either non taking a non dualistic approach, your point around the lowest common denominator. While it's it, there may be an element of negativity there where you're not optimizing for a certain sort of sort of vector, kind of fast vector in the near term. However, what it does is it actually brings together a very solid foundation of alignment on what's, again, what's appropriate for this point in time where you get all sort of boots moving forward and you're creating like this really solid foundation. And then it's a question of, you know, how do you really optimize on levers on top of that that give you sort of agility to move even faster, again, with a different context in mind next, you know what I mean? And to put this in perspective, if you start a company and your company starts, you know, if you want to not necessarily put a label, if you're product-led or sales-led, and you're really sort of trying to have an emergent type of strategy where you decide, okay, what problem are we trying to solve? Do we take a community first approach or do we take a product approach and so on? Ultimately, you're trying to solve a problem. Put the labels aside. Let's start with what we're trying to do, right? What problem we're trying to solve and then get to a place that's, that, you know, it's high scale and how you go about doing that, whether that's with salespeople or with your website or both, you know, it doesn't entirely sort of matter as long as you get to a certain stage and then you decide, right? At that point, then you've got sort of at least momentum at a certain sort of foundation level that you can then build on. Then you can decide maybe for the next two years, you want to like really accelerate product led, or maybe you want to really layer on sales growth because, you know, that's the model that you've built. Maybe there are very large contracts. There are companies that just operate with, you know, multi-million dollar contracts. They don't have a lot of customers, few customers, massive amounts of revenue per customer that generates a very significantly large company. Right, you've got plenty of examples that have, of companies that have gone public recently that you can think of that are that are in this camp. So, and how do they do that? Of course, they had a foundational product that was built, but they scaled it very heavily with sales. Right, they add a lot of salespeople. So, it again depends on the situation, on kind of what you're dealing with overall. So, in closing, I want to bring it back to the practical again, and the very, very practical. So, for anyone who's listening right now and is saying, all right, uh, you're intriguing me. I want to practice this a little bit. How do you do it today, tomorrow? What, what are some sort of starting points or some pro tips for folks? You want to make sure that you're listening constantly to people and taking care of people that are ultimately sort of closest to customers, because that's going to give you a sense and appreciation for what you're building and really sort of be close to what you're trying to do. 
And more often than not, people very quickly move away from being close to customers for whatever reason. You know, they find it, they, they actually assume there are more important things to do in reality. And if you're not close to, to customers and talk to customers, it's a mistake. So that's one. That will drive a lot of your sort of thought process and empathy on what to actually think about for your company. That extends to things like, you know, ultimately you have to, you own the decisions you make as a, as a leader, right? So whatever decision you make, it may not be right or wrong, but ultimately you're responsible. Like it doesn't matter in the end. So you have to just, you can't point the finger at anybody. Like you'd have to sort of own that, that decision and just be open to ultimately, you want to sort of like think big and inspire belief and sort of make sure that people are rowing the same direction and so on. So that's more of a leadership philosophy. So that at least, at least how I think about what's important in my own personal approach uh, to, the, to various situations. Then I would say, practically speaking, for leaders that are faced with scaling their organizations and so on, is to really assess, along with their leadership teams, what is appropriate for their company at this stage in time, right? And let's throw the titles out, throw the labels out of the room, and really sort of decide you know, you know, which direction you want to sort of go in for the next sort of period of time. It could be phased in many ways and, you know, always be flexible enough that, you know, your opinion is not going to be, uh, you're always sort of open to sort of changing your opinion because there's going to be new dynamics that are going to be at play and just be very, very flexible with that approach. Uh, so those are probably some, you know, I would say some broad thoughts, uh, Blake, on how leaders should approach the problem. Well, Prashant, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot from it. And what I think I love the most is that we all know the the classic saying of the way that you be successful in life across any different discipline or dimension is to be contrarian and right, which is like most things easier said than done. But I think this idea of non-dualistic thinking, this idea of not being dogmatic actually provides a roadmap and provides folks a lot of practical advice and then real life examples, um, which then in turn can give them courage to know how to actually accomplish being contrarian and right and stick to it versus letting the wisdom of the crowd or the herd influence you to become more generic and, and less specific to your own path and to your own company. Yeah, no, absolutely, Blake. And I hope it's useful to folks. And this is, you know, also, this, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, I think it's it's interesting for me to come to this somewhat sort of a, this realization, having, in fact, after, after leading Stack Overflow, right, which is a very sort of objective type of platform, which is, has the right answer, is the wrong answer to technical questions. And that's as dualistic as it comes, you know what I mean, like in, in the context. And so this is, but when it comes to leadership, I think it's it's very, very different, in my opinion. You know, I think you have to, you know, you have to sort of put that out of the, out of your sort of vantage point and really sort of think about what's appropriate. So... Well, thanks so much for joining us on the Build Podcast. It was, it was great to have you on. Thank you, Blake. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Build. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to stay up to date with all the new episodes. Want more insights from OpenView? Follow me, Blake Bartlett, on LinkedIn for daily PLG content and head to our website to sign up for our weekly newsletter.